Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Good to see you all again. And um, there we go. What I want to share with you this morning is entitled, Will You Go With This Man? Um, I've, I, every time I come, I think I, I mention this, that the Old Testament is a picture book. It's full of pictures of the wonderful truths of our faith. Every New, Des New, New Testament doctrine is illustrated in the Old Testament, in, in the incidents and uh, uh, the prophecies and so on. And uh, this morning we're going to look at a wonderful type of Jesus. And as I look at these types and remember that these were written and, and these, these events happened thousands of years before Jesus was born. And, and yet they play out and enact in such an incredible way the, the life of Jesus Christ. And there are so many of these types in the Bible that there's no more room for a coincidence. You've got to just see the wonderful hand of God on the Scriptures. That's why we love the Word of God. And so we're going to look at um, Isaac, the life of Isaac, as a type of Jesus this morning. And, um, you know, God said that Abraham is the father of us all because of his faith. God revealed to Abraham that through his seed, that is Jesus, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Abraham believed those promises and righteousness was imputed to him. And it's imputed to us as well who believe in Jesus as our righteousness. And so we know that... Uh, Abraham's faith was tested, and at times it faltered, and at times it failed. Probably the biggest failure was when um, it seemed like Sarah was not going to have a child. She was barren, and so Sarah and Abraham conspired together that Abraham should have a child through Hagar, the, the house uh, servant, and uh, that was a great lack of trust and faith in, in God's promise. But God always restores and picked him up and he went on again and his faith grew to the extent that by the time they did have a child, not only was Sarah barren, but both Abraham and Sarah were past the age of childbearing. So God did a wonderful miracle and gave them a child. Okay, so now we're going to fast forward uh, a few more years now. Isaac is born, he's probably in his late teens or early 20s, and God tests him in an incredible way. Now, we know that it was only a test, that God never intended for Abraham to follow through with what he was going to ask him. We know that. We have hindsight. He didn't. And yet his faith had grown so strong, it was so pure, that he obeyed God 100%. What God told him to do was to go and take his son and offer him up as a sacrifice on a mountain that he would show him. And without question, Abraham went. The Bible says he rose early in the morning. He took two servants with him and his son, and they began to make their way to this mountain. Now, what do you think was going through Abraham's mind? I would say many questions would have been going through his mind. Number one, what am I going to say to Sarah? <laughs> I, maybe that's why he rose early in the morning, <laughs> while she was still in bed. Because if she was up, you know, he probably said, well, I'll be back for lunch. Uh, 
Isaac won't be, but I will be. <laughs> How do you explain that? And then as he went, he probably thought, this is what the pagans in this land do. They offer their children literally as sacrifices to the gods that they worship. So is our God no different to these gods? That would have gone through his mind as well. But also, of course, he would have asked himself, but all the promises God gave to me that he would make of me a seed, a physical seed, and the nation of Israel that would be his chosen people, they would come through Isaac. And not only that, the Messiah himself would come through Isaac. And now God is asking him to offer him up on this hill. And yet he went in obedience. So what was going through his mind? I believe we have to go over to the book of Hebrews to really find what was happening in, or what was going on in his mind. This doesn't seem to be, there we go. By faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Did you notice those words? Who else is called his only begotten son? It's a picture of Jesus, God offering up his son. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed will be called. Concluding, this is what was going through his mind. That God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. From which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham was so full of faith and trust in the promises of God that he said, well, God has promised that in my seed all the nations will be blessed. This is the seed that was promised to me. Now he's asking me to offer him up. I can only conclude that God will raise him from the dead after I've offered him up. And remember this, that there was no previous example of a resurrection. And so they, they, they set on their way, and uh, the Bible says he laid the wood on Isaac's back. What a beautiful picture of Jesus carrying the cross as he went up the hill. It also says, and um, we had that in the reading, by the way, this, this morning, that two servants went with him. There were two servants with him, and we know that when Jesus was crucified, there were two men crucified with him. Two men that could go so far with him in the sufferings of Jesus, but no further. They, they were able to enter into the physical sufferings of what it meant to be crucified on a cross. They experienced the same thing. They went so far. But then it's like, as Abraham told the servants to wait there and I and the lad will go further and worship, God drew a curtain over them. Only God and his son, the father and the son, could enter into the spiritual suffering of what took place on the cross. No one else can understand what it meant for God to give his only begotten son to lay down his life for us that we might be redeemed. Nobody but Jesus could understand what it would be like to be separated from the father when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as the sin of the world was laid upon him? We cannot enter into and, and, and identify with what they experienced. It was like they went so far, but no further. And then as they were going up the hill, Isaac asked the question, Father, we've got the wood and we've got the, the fire, but where is the sacrifice? To which Abraham replied, God 
will provide himself the lamb. Please meditate on that. God will provide himself the lamb. If ever you wonder if your salvation is sufficient, if it's going to hold and, and, and hold fast and hold good, remember it's God himself who has provided the sacrifice, the lamb. God himself has provided your salvation. That's why you know it's 100% sure and certain and uh, secure. Praise God for that. And then when he arrived at the place, he built the altar. He bound Isaac on the altar. And we do not read in any verse that Isaac resisted what Abraham was doing. Remember, Isaac was a strong young man now. Abraham was an old man. He could easily have overpowered his father. But there was no resistance there. And that's a one, once again a beautiful picture that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus also said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. Both the father and the son were in perfect harmony with what was going to take place at Calvary, at the cross. And as Abraham stretched out his knife to thrust it into his son, God restrained him. God called out, Abraham, Abraham. That's interesting because when God told him to go, he only had to call him once, Abraham, go, and Abraham obeyed. But to stop him from doing the will of God, to stop him from going, following through, God had to call out twice, Abraham, Abraham. He said, now I know that you trust me, that you love me, that you, your obedience to me is perfect. And he, of course, restrained him from following through. And the Bible says that God, uh, sorry, Abraham saw a ram that was caught in a thicket and he offered that on that altar. And he called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. I wonder how many of you have heard sermons on Jehovah Jireh. And usually they're about what? Money. <laughs> Isn't that right? Well, let me take you back to the origin of that name. It really doesn't have a lot to do with money, although God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. But your greatest need, my greatest need, is that our sins would be forgiven that we would receive the gift of righteousness and eternal life, that we will be reconciled eternally to the Father. And God met that need. God himself provided the lamb. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. It's interesting that um, he was to offer him up on one of the mountains of Moriah. Mor Moriah was a range of mountains. And one of those mountains was the mountain we heard about this morning at the table, Mount Calvary. Many commentators believe that that was the spot where all this took place. It was enacting what would take place 2,000 years later when God would give his only begotten son for you and for I on, on that place. And also, incidentally, later on, about 1,000 years after this, David uh, purchased a plot of land from someone to build an altar there to offer a sacrifice. And that became the place where the, the, the temple of Solomon was built and the sacrifices were offered all through the Old Testament period until Jesus came. 
Isn't it beautiful the way God arranges all things and, and gives incredible proofs and confirmation and evidence uh, that the Word that we read is indeed the Word of God? Now, many of you know that the law of first mention, that whenever a subject is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, note that passage because if you study it, you'll find the key that will give you some sense of its main theme and meaning throughout the Scripture. Where was love mentioned first? Right here in this passage. When God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love. That's the origin. That's the beginning of the mention of that wonderful word love throughout the rest of the Scripture. What does that tell us? Well, let me ask you this question. Does love have a beginning? Does love have a beginning? See, love must have an object. Amen? So before we were created, before the angels were created, before any living creature was created, did God love? Yes, He did. And we read that that love existed eternally in the Godhead. God loved, the Father loved the Son. You can read about that in different places, especially, for example, in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 8. You read that, that uh, Jesus was the personification of wisdom and he, he was dwelling before the Father. He was His delight and the, the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father. This is the origin, the eternal origin, because love never has a beginning. Because God is love and all that God is, He always has been and always will be. Amen? And so we find that the source of love is in the Godhead itself, the the love between the Father and the Son. You know, um, we go to Africa from time to time, and uh, uh, I think it was only in the 1800s that they discovered that the source of the River Nile that we know is in Egypt, but the source of it is in a place called Jinja in Uganda, and it flows through different nations as it makes its way up to Egypt and then flows out into the Mediterranean Sea. Well, we can discover and we have discovered the source of all love. All love on earth can trace its source back to the Godhead. The Father's love for the Son is eternal and the Son's love for the Father is eternal. Now, when we go to... um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. We read, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, which means the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. This love that that has its source in the Godhead was poured out upon us by God giving His only begotten Son, whom He loved from eternity, to become the propitiation, the one who would bear the wrath of God for our sins, that we today might sit here knowing that we're forgiven, that we're cleansed, that we're justified, that we've been made righteous in the sight of God. When you go to the New Testament, here's the first mention of love in the book of Matthew. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. 
the son of my love, in whom I'm well pleased. You go to Mark's gospel, and we read, Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. First mention of love in Mark's gospel. Go to Luke's gospel. Same again, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, the Son of my love, in whom, in you, I am well pleased. What about John's gospel? Well, I think we all know that verse off by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many people have come to Christ through that verse? And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never been uh, made, made your peace with God, you can do it now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he died there on the cross for you, for your sins, as he did for all our sins, and you will be saved. Amen. Now, so this story of Abraham and Isaac, father and son, is a beautiful picture of the love of God that found its way eventually to the cross. But we know there are three persons in the Godhead, amen? The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So where does the Holy Spirit come in? Well, we go forward another couple of chapters to chapter 24 in Genesis, and we find that Isaac is now 40 years of age, 40 years of age, and Abraham is concerned about him because Abraham's getting old, and Isaac doesn't have a wife, and he doesn't want him to take a wife from the Canaanites. So Abraham says to his servant, which I believe is a picture here of the Holy Spirit, okay? This is where we see the Holy Spirit being portrayed. Abraham sent his servant back to his old country, Mesopotamia, to find a wife for Isaac. Now, that was a long journey, by the way, a very, very long journey, 800 kilometers. No cars, no motorways, camels, 800 kilometers kilometers. So Abraham even had to reckon on the fact that maybe he would not come back before Abraham had died. Maybe his, his time would come and he would not even see Isaac's wife. So he made him promise. He said, in fact, the servant said, what, what if I find a wife for your son, but she's not willing to come back with me? Shall I take Isaac there, back to the old country, to live there? And he said, don't do that. I want you to take an oath, in fact, a promise that you will not do that. So he swore to Abraham that if she was not willing to come back with him to the promised land, that he would not take Isaac back to the old country. And so... A big task for this servant. And he committed the whole thing to God in prayer. And this is what he said as he got near. Lord, he said, let it be that 
when, when, when I see a woman coming to the well, that if I ask her to give me a drink of water, and she says, yes, I'll give you a drink, and also I'll draw water for all your camels also, let that be the one. Now, that was quite a, a sign, because it's one thing to give him a drink, but to, he had 10 camels, by the way. Camels drink a lot of water. She would be forever pulling this bucket up and, and giving water to the camels, over an hour at least. And so this would be a clear sign. And no longer, or no sooner rather, had he finished praying that prayer, he looked up and there was this beautiful woman, Rebecca, coming towards the well. And so he watched her, she drew water, and then he asked her if he could have water. And guess what she said? She said, yes, I'll draw water for you, and I'll draw water for all your camels as well. And so this man knew that God was in this whole thing. No mucking around. This is it. Mission on our way to becoming accomplished. And so he began to tell her all that had happened, what had led up to this, and the fact, in fact, that uh, she was from the same family as Abraham. They were related. And he gave her some jewelry, some bracelets and other things, and, and, and she just was absolutely amazed, as you would be, and ran back to tell her brother. Now, her brother's name was Laban, okay? And... Um, I don't want to get sidetracked here with Laban, but if you saw Laban, he would have dollar signs in his eyes. <laughs> okay, he was that kind of man. Um, and when he saw the jewelry, <laughs> he ran to meet this man. He said, come in, come in. With, you know, the dinner, in fact, we've got dinner ready for you already. <laughs> come in. So the servant said, before I do anything, remember he'd just come on a journey of 800 kilometers. So before we eat, before we do anything, I'm focused. I've come here on a mission, and I must tell you what that mission is. So he began to tell Laban why he was there, to find a bride for his master's son. He said, I won't do anything until we know what the response is. He said, okay, well, you know, hang around for a few days, stay with us for a few days. And, and, and he said, no, I want a yes or a no. I want a yes or a no. Is she going to come with us and, and, and marry my master's son? Otherwise, I will turn back and go home. And so this is where we get the title from this morning. They called Rebecca to them, gave her the choice, and asked the question, will you go with this man? And she said, yes. She said, yes. Now, let's just look a little bit more at what the servant said to Laban. He said, God had blessed Abraham with great wealth. He had 10 camels, and most of them were laden with presents and gifts. He had other camels. They had donkeys. They had livestock, silver, gold. He was a very wealthy man, Abraham. But this is what he said. My master has given everything to his son. Everything that God has for you and I is in Jesus Christ. Amen? 
God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Let me save you many years if you haven't already made this discovery. And I wish somebody had told me this when I first became a Christian. Everything God has for you is in his son. Amen. Get to know Jesus. Let him be your focus. Don't get caught up with issues in the Christian life. All of God's wealth has been poured into his son for you that you might be enriched in all things. And so if you haven't already made Jesus your prime focus in this life, begin to make him your focus from this day. But there's one thing that Isaac didn't have, and that was a wife. And, and, and the Holy Spirit, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit was sent upon the earth for this very purpose to call out a bride for the Son of God. That's his focus. Just as that servant was focused, he came, he said, I've come for one thing. I don't want to get distracted. I want to get, you know, go off on tangents. I'm here to bring a bride home for my master's son. That's why the Holy Spirit is here today. That's why the Holy Spirit has been on the earth for 2,000 years. You know, um, some people get distracted when they, they focus on the Holy Spirit. But remember, the main ministry of the Holy Spirit is to call out a bride from this world for Jesus, the bride of Christ. And every time somebody gets saved, they become a, a, a member, a part of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. And, and what we see here is this, that every time the word bride is used in the New Testament, it's John that uses that word five times, and it always refers to the bride of Christ. It's almost like that word has been preserved or, or, or kept special for the church. And, and so it, it applies to us. And, and the Holy Spirit's ministry is to call people out of the world. You know the word church means, it's from the Greek word ekklesia, made up of two words. Ek is out. Klesia is from kalein, which means to call. That's what happens when you hear the gospel. God, through the Holy Spirit, is calling people out saying, will you go with this man? Will you come and be a part of the bride of Christ? And, and, and so that's beautifully depicted there. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He's here on earth. He's been with us for 2,000 years for that very purpose. So Isaac uh, was not to go back, was not to go back and, and take Isaac back to the old country. So God is calling us out of the world. Not that we become hermits, not that we become uh, monks, not that sort of separation, but it's love not the world. You know what I mean? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. God is calling us out of this world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Amen? Because God has a beautiful destiny for us, and that is that we should be presented spotless as the bride of Christ at the end. 
Now, just think of this. We can go to the next slide. The, the, the Holy Spirit then has a twofold ministry. One is evangelism. One is evangelism. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The Holy Spirit is speaking through evangelists. The Holy Spirit is speaking through the witness of individual Christians like you and I as we share our testimonies, we share the gospel. And he's saying, will you go with this man? Will you come out of the world, become a member of Christ's body and his bride? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am always... I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How is he with us? Because Jesus is in heaven until the times of the restitution of all things. But the Holy Spirit is with us and will be with us until Jesus comes back. But also, he's not only calling people into the body of Christ, he's preparing them as the bride of Christ. Paul said, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I betrothed you with one, uh, to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And I think if you look at the context there, um, you will see that the church was caught up in different doctrines and that, that they got their eyes off Jesus. And, and sometimes Christians get their eyes off Jesus by falling in love again with the world and the things of the world and get, getting drawn away from Him. But the Holy Spirit is here always drawing us, always drawing us to the Son because that is our destiny. That is our purpose, and that is where we will uh, arrive. So think of this. They had to travel on camelback for 800 kilometers. <laughs> that's the church. That's our journey. We're saved the moment we believe. We're justified instantly. But sanctification is a process. It's a journey. It's a long journey through this life. Amen? We, 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 and the Holy Spirit is with us. All the way. And all the time, what do you think they would have been talking about? She would have wanted to know about this Isaac. She would, would have wanted to know about him. Tell me about him. Tell me about him. Because she was going to marry him. And so he would be talking to her and, 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 and describing him and glorifying the son and preparing her for him. And he never left her alone. He was with her all through that journey, the same as the Holy Spirit is with us all through our journey. And what is he doing? The same thing. As the servant taught Rebecca about Isaac, so the Holy Spirit is revealing Christ to us. Jesus said this, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit will help us to get our focus on Jesus, to learn about Him and to fall more and more in love with Him. In the next chapter, Jesus said, He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. Now, now here's another analogy here. She had never seen Isaac to the end of the journey. Same with us. When you think about it, I know this is true of me, I'm sure it's true of you. The person I love the most is the one I've never seen in my life. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen.
But the more the Holy Spirit is revealing to me of Him, the more I fall in love with Him. As it says there in uh, Peter, if I can just read all that with the stands there, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him yet, believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's the Christian life. Never seen Him, yet you love Him more than ever, more than anyone. That's supernatural. That's a work of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you and I. Okay. Now, the Bible says, we'll close with this, that the union between Christ and the church is a mystery. In fact, it's a great mystery. There are, there are several mysteries in the New Testament. I think that word is used about seven different times, about seven different specific subjects or, or topics. But when it talks about our relationship to Christ, it's the same as a man being married to a woman. And Paul says, this is a great mystery. Not just the mystery. This is a great mystery. This is big. This is big. Amen. And, and a mystery is something that was hidden, but now is revealed. Okay? Just imagine these curtains were closed this morning, and you didn't have a clue what was behind these beautiful Christmas trees. Okay? But then somebody pulls the cord, and all is revealed. That's the meaning of the word mystery. That which was hidden, but now is revealed. So the mystery of Christ and his bride was hidden, but it's now revealed. Where was it hidden? It was hidden right at the beginning, in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are a type of Christ and the church. Adam was made in the image of God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Amen? Eve was created differently. God put Adam to sleep, took a rib from his side, and from this he made the woman. Thus Eve resided all along in Adam to bring the church into experience. The, the side of Jesus was opened. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross, we just heard about it, the soldiers thrust the spear into his side. And there came forth water and blood through which the church are cleansed and made the bride of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? A mystery, hidden but now revealed. Hallelujah. Now, all this long journey, all this long journey, 800 kilometers on Camelback, what do you think Isaac was doing? The Bible says that he was in the field meditating how beautiful is that Jesus is thinking about us now and looking forward to that meeting when we will meet him and we will be presented to him at the marriage supper of the lamb and when she arrived at the end of the journey the Bible says she dismounted and, 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 and he took her into his tent, and they became man and wife. She fulfilled him. The incredible thing, the Bible says that the church is the completion of Jesus Christ. That's, I find that amazing. You think that Jesus is already complete. In a sense, of course, he is. But for what God 
has desired for us to be the bride of Christ, Jesus is waiting to be fulfilled in that sense for us to be with him and, and also to share in his glory. So I'll close with this. You know, the book of Revelation is like a mirror of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God. In the end, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the end, God will create new heavens and a new earth. In the beginning, sin entered. And as a result of sin, sickness, suffering, pain, death. In the end, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death, no more sorrow. In the beginning, God puts Adam and Eve on the earth and says, have dominion over the whole of the earth. We know it went wrong because they gave their allegiance to the serpent, to Satan. But at the end, there will be Christ and his bride, the church. And we will reign with him on the earth. And all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. We thank you for how wonderfully you have inspired the scriptures and the events that are recorded there so that the story of our redemption should be foretold and explained and illustrated in so many different ways. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did go to the cross for us. We thank you, Father, that you gave your Son because you loved us so much. We thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit and that he's with us now and he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will be with us throughout our entire journey until we're presented faultless before the Father. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.